0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: BELIEVE. We're putting the band back together. We're on a mission from God. Welcome to a new edition of Dropping In. Been a few weeks since so Odog and I recorded a show. We usually save our time for guests that are super worthy, and our next guest is no exception to that. If you follow surfing, if you love surfing, pretty much everything you consume that's related to the sport is thanks to our next guest. He's one of the most legendary surfers ever. Uh, he revolutionized shortboarding. Before Sean Thompson, most people just love to ride big old long logs, and now... Everyone rides nice, small, amazing aerodynamic sticks, and it's because of our guest dropping in, Sean Thompson, the legend. Sean, how are you doing, man?
2: Good, good. It's great to chat to you guys. Well, I think you've given me too much of a wind up. I wasn't responsible for the <laughs> shortboard revolution, but certain aspects of it, certainly tube riding, riding pipeline, and uh, and some radical surfing, but uh, there's a lot, a lot of guys involved in that mosaic that's surfing. <laughs>
1: Oh, you're being modest, Sean. You're pretty much named every important part of shortboarding. And then you were like, no, but I had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Just tube riding, performance riding, basically everything that uh, pertains to to professional surfing and surfing high performance right now.
1: (laughs)
3: Uh,
1: That's funny. So what is, Sean, where are you right now, man? I I mean, I'm guessing you travel the world, but at this present time, where are you?
2: At this present time, I'm at my home in Santa Barbara in a little mm. suburb called Montecito. Mm. And I'm sitting here in my uh, in my lounge. With, uh, my wife's a designer, so we've got a nice little spot here with uh, with some of our boards, my old boards, like stuck up in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The old ones just sort of get relegated to, to the garden and uh, I live in a beautiful place. Santa Barbara's a lovely city. Mm-hmm. And I do do a lot of traveling. Uh, I leave on uh, Tuesday for for Chicago for, for some events. I've got a school event, a surf ride event, and then a, a corporate event. And That's what uh, what I do a lot of these days. I, I speak to to individuals, schools, universities, all sorts of organizations around the world about uh, the power of purpose, even inmates. I've spoken at jails. I spoke at uh, three groups of inmates last week here in, in Santa Barbara at the county jail, so you know, I love, to, uh, I love to give what surfing has given me on to others.
3: Mm.
0: Which is amazing. I mean, I would say something that I don't think a lot of people, uh, just sports fans in general know, is that you have an extremely powerful presence um, as far as like speaking and motivational speaking. And, you know, I've worked for many companies and been involved with tons of webcasts um, and professional surfing that uh, had you involved. And the power of your voice and, and everything, I think people really, really... Um, you know, respect that. And I think it's super cool. I also know too, you <laughs> have gotten into filmmaking as well within that, as far as, you know, bringing it down to the motivational and also documentary stuff.
2: Yeah, I made a film uh, with my partner, a guy called Jeremy Gosh, and, and, and a, a, a small production crew called Bustin' Down the Door mm-hmm. a few years ago. We made that and in, uh, in, released it in, in 2008. And that was really a film that documented the uh, the sort of turbulent rise of of pro surfing over the period 1975 and 1976. And the title was taken from this amazing article that, that Rabbit Bartholomew wrote. So if there's a theme of everything that I've done uh, throughout my life, it's really one of, um, I think, uh, influencing and inspiring people in a positive way. From the very first surf companies that I started, I had a company called Instinct back in the um, late 70s, early 80s that I started and sponsored a lot of top pro surfers. Tom Carroll, we sponsored two world titles, Barton Lynch to one world title and had this amazing surf team. So I was always really about um, about using this amazing gift that surfing had given me. Um, in ways that can can benefit uh, other people, and then the films I've done, the books, the books I've done, Surface Code and the Code, have all been uh, designed to just give people a different perspective, and perhaps through that perspective, maybe they'll just sort of reevaluate where they are and, and where they might be going. It's, nothing is prescriptive; it's all just a perspective. And, and I must say, I love doing. It. I'm writing a whole like new wave now, like a third wave. Like if my first wave was was kind of you know, uh, uh, hardcore surfing, and maybe the second wave was business with instinct and a brand I started with my wife called Solitude.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: certainly, now it's 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 this wave of purpose, getting involved with with people and environmental groups, and just trying to make a difference.
0: Oh man, instinct! I love that you bring that company up. That was my personal favorite company growing up as a kid. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Let's bring it back. No, instinct was awesome. <laughs> I mean, uh, talk about the revolution of Gotcha and Instinct and the whole—I don't know—evolution of surf fashion and and uh, whatever drove that industry. I feel like that was like the foundation. Where a uh, Gotcha. You know, few of those gotcha, gotcha was a part of that. It was all the. the gotcha similar was time, my company, Michael. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So
2: Mike, yep. Mike, had, Mike had, Gotcha. I had Instinct, and yeah, we would compete in the surf. We compete uh, with our brands, and uh, it was a, it was a really great uh, time. I think. For surfing, there was a lot of newness, a lot of uh, kind of breaking boundaries. You know, the established brands were sort of going by the wayside. We were passionate and loved it. And and I think today that certainly there's still that element, but all the brands today are owned by such huge uh, financial groups. It certainly lost the soul that it used to have, without a doubt.
1: Yes.
0: Yes. And that, that's my one of my big questions for this uh, podcast is, I mean, you know, I want to bring it all the way to that is is how do you feel about the industry health right now? I mean, it's just gone up and down and all over the place, and now we got the Hurley drama. Um, I mean, I respect what you think so much about the industry. What are your thoughts at this moment?
2: Yeah, I think the industry's completely lost their way. Um, I certainly think that uh, there was this focus on on, um, profit sales and growth, profit sales and growth, growing market share. And ultimately um, people had to make bad distribution decisions and product was available everywhere. And when product is available everywhere, it certainly loses its appeal. Mm -hmm. It loses its allure. I mean, my cousin Michael at the heart of Gotcha made this amazing statement. He said size is the enemy of cool. Michael is just an incredibly innovative thinker and he, he was right. You know, the bigger you are, the less cool you become and the less, Uh, The further away you get from the core, you know, that, that essential young, young guy or young gal that wants to just get out there and, and love surfing. And what's interesting is that there've never, ever been more surfers than there are right now. Right. There've never been, when I say more surfers, more hardcore surfers. Um, Yes, maybe back in the eighties and nineties, there was a lot of posers, people that weren't really surfers that just sort of subscribed to the surfing lifestyle. Uh
3: Uh-huh. Right. But I
2: think that there are so many core surfers today and there's not very few brands that are really targeting um, the core surfer. Like my mate Paul Nordee from VISLA has got this brand that he started a few years ago and certainly, you know, he's not funded by private equity and he's targeting the core person. And it's, it's really great to see that, you know, he's not selling to all these big department stores. He's not selling to these um, these multi-chain stores. He just wants to, you know, sell cool product for surfers, and that's what—that's how the surfing industry started. You wanted to make cool product for surfers, and if people didn't surf, and they want to buy, that's cool too. But the focus was always support the surfers, have a great surf team, um, and then uh, make great product uh, for the for the the core surfers, and not be so worried about uh, next quarter performance. Yeah, you know, you thought that it would just sort of if you make great product sold it to the right people sold it to the right shops ultimately you know the business plan would uh, would take care of itself but today it's like all the nba dudes all the private equity dudes that you know they're running the show and, <laughs> right. and, and 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 those guys you know what i mean it's like go and play in someone else's zone don't come and play in the surf right Right.
0: right. i, I, I worked for a cool sales manager at one point when i was uh, working for Rusty and um, we, we said, uh, uh, keep, keep the specialty shop special, you know, and that's the core shop, you know, and, and that whole following, just like you said. Um, and I, you know, and I almost feel like it, hopefully it's coming back full circle, you know, with, I know uh, Reynolds, of course, I, I know he's, he's gone of gone that path as well, trying to create his core brand. And, um, and of course, you know, you, um, going all over the place and doing that. Um, and oh, gosh, what, what's the name of Michael's book? Um, that was a great book that had a lot about you as well, uh, Michael Thompson.
2: Oh yeah, he read, he he had a, he had a, 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 a did a book about Gotcha, about his yes. brand. Yes,
0: which was a which was was a very
2: I mean Gotcha was an amazing brand, super innovative. Yeah. Uh, and you know those those are brands that were all all of them. You know, Billabong, Quicksilver, they were all started by like hardcore surfers, by guys that loved it, and and you know they didn't put a business business plan together. It was like they did it because they loved it and they were motivated by the pure sense of just paddling out there towards that big open horizon and looking for the next wave. It wasn't organic. Yeah, totally organic. Don't panic. It's organic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love
1: that. Oh, that is amazing. I, I, I still can't believe that's, I mean, gotcha. I just remember when I was a kid, I mean, just, we all wore that stuff, man. It was insane. All that fashion. Um, sean i mean I, I you know i want i god i don't know where to even go in this direction you're just such a legend i, I the first time we oh, I thank the, you big the, big no, if, i'm i'm trying to be sincere uh you know the first time we interviewed you the last time i'm sorry uh, was when odog and i we hosted the extreme scene and you were a great guest then and then a few years back i i talked I remember, to you because, yeah yeah and then a few years back uh, we we spoke briefly um and it might have been on the show again too but because you you sent me a picture of surfing at four point um, because I because I owned a surf shop for a little while in San Francisco, and then you just randomly, I don't, I forgot how we communicated, but you sent me this photo. You're like, look, and and I think that is the most iconic photo of anyone surfing Fort Point. I don't know if that many other surfers with your prestige and prominence who have done that. Um, but let, let's go back a little bit. So so I interviewed Edward Norton some years back, and and uh, we replayed that for this podcast in one of the episodes for our subscribers, go back to I think episode four or five. And um, and he narrated one of my all-time favorite documentaries busting down the door which was focused largely on you and and your crew of short borders and how much you revolutionized you know the sport of surfing and this lifestyle and tell us about how that documentary came together and how did you connect with edward norton to have him narrate that documentary
2: so i i lost my beautiful lost my beautiful son matthew my wife and i lost our son just played a stupid game and, and we lost him and 2006 uh, so the sort of time period after that was very very difficult for us and you know we were both of us we were kind of adrift and you know it, 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 I was really looking for something something to do that was was purposeful I'd, I'd released my, my first book Surface Code about that time and um, you know the Surface Code and, and the message behind that book and and the connection to my my late son was super important and powerful. And it was the way for me to start getting back and connecting again uh, with people. And and when um, you know, I was going through the, the whole process, I got a call from a friend of mine, this guy, Jeremy Gosh, who had directed a small film, and him and I had had this idea of, of doing about half a dozen films that all were based around pivotal moments in surfing. Um, and one of the, the films was Shortboard Revolution. One of them was was the start of professional surfing. And he said, hey, Sean, you know, I've got some time on my hands. Um, I was sort of at this loss, you know, after I'd, I'd lost uh, lost Matthew. And I said, well, I, I, I've got some time. He said, well, why don't, we, uh, why don't we work together and see if we can do this, this little documentary? I said, great. We're going to call it Bustin' Down the Door. I said, I'm going to phone up Rabbit right now, see if we can get the permission to use. He used Bustin' Down the Door as a title for a magazine article that he wrote in Surfer Magazine in 1976, Mm -hmm. and he used it for his uh, his, uh, autobiography. So I phoned him up, licensed the rights, and I said, Jeremy, we're on our way. So we cut together uh, like a rough cut. And then uh, I said, Jeremy, i want to take it around and see if I can get some, some funding. And I took it around to a group of investors. Um, and uh, we managed to get some funding for the movie. And one of the investors knew Edward Norton. And Edward Norton was a keen surfer and a yes. met ed And, uh, you know, we chatted to him about it and said, you know, Ed, you know, we love your sensibility. Uh, you know, he's an Academy Award nominee. Um, I said, it'd be awesome if you, 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 know, you would be uh, interested in doing the uh, the narration for the movie. So he said yes, and once Ed was involved, you know, it was a little bit easier to, to get other people to come on board. So we funded the movie, then we flew out to Hawaii, we spent about three weeks in Hawaii uh, shooting the movie, shooting all the interviews with all the guys, because I knew everyone would be there at the end of the year for the winter mm-hmm. season, so we got all the interviews, flew over Rabbit and MR, and... Um, and we managed to get all the interviews with all the you know, top Hawaiians and the, and the Kelly Slater and, and his whole crew, Rob Machado, and then some of the uh, you know the Hawaiian protagonists in the movie from Fast Eddie Rothman to uh, to you know to a lot of other amazing um, amazing Hawaiian surfers, and that's how we we put it together. And then we released it about a year later. We premiered it at the Santa Barbara Film Festival. Um, and uh, in 2008, and it, it was just an amazing, amazing sort of labor of love. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. sort of the one and only movie uh, I've ever made and it will ever make. I, I don't think I'll ever do another, another documentary, but it was an amazing experience, a lot of work, a lot of learning. And Jeremy, I thought, you know, just did, did a great job. So it was a, was a wonderful thing
1: to, uh, to
2: be associated with.
1: It was a wonderful movie. I mean, it it really was a masterpiece. No, thank you.
2: Okay. Yes. Yeah. It was yeah we, be... wanted tell, we, we wanted to tell. We wanted to tell a really good, a good story about the drama that happened, um, and about this just this incredible love that you know that we all had for um, for surfing, but not just wave after wave. And you mm-hmm. know, we, we really wanted to tell the, the dramatic story and give a like a really fair a fair viewpoint of what happened. It wasn't like Australians and South Africans coming in to conquer Hawaii, and and Hawaiians, you know, getting all pissed off about it. I mean, there's a lot of subtlety, and there was a lot of (laughs) undertones and overtones, and, you know, we really wanted to show from like a Hawaiian perspective, if here you've got this amazing uh, uh, country that's illegally annexed by the United States, and just like (laughs) taken over with gunship diplomacy, and suddenly um, it's gone from an independent nation to to being uh, subservient to the US. So we wanted to bring all that in, and and, uh, and and I think we did, and I think people, you know, appreciated that sort of balanced viewpoint.
0: You know, I f- I felt it was so amazing the fact that it felt raw, you know, mm-hmm. and it was raw and, too. and organized. It was you know, raw. you know what I mean. That, that I feel like a lot of film um, people in in documentaries and surf documentaries in general they 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 can capture one or the other, but it 's hard to capture both. They can either make it look super clean and not raw or both and you You did an amazing job uh, that that movie's epic It <laughs> For is. Sure.
2: Uh, it thank is. you, you know, we were very we were very stable and it was so much fun to go around and show it uh you know to show it all over the world in Australia and show it you know throughout the United States and in europe and in, and in, in Hawaii too it was amazing to you know, to show it and, and show it at the Maui Film Festival and just just really, uh, you know, people appreciated the love that we put into the movie. And I think they really appreciated the love that that all of us guys that were in it showed for surfing, Mark Richards and Rabbit and PT and Ian and, and uh, you know, the Hawaiian guys as well. Everyone had this sort of deep love for, for what they were doing in this still this deep passion you know what i mean and still some of the the tempers are still afraid about it you know people have this (laughs) perception, and then they're like still still some little bit of anger there from some of the angry dudes
0: uh no it was nice because uh i mean for me when it came out like you know growing up going to the north shore as a young surfer you know that that, all that stuff was talked about right you know so it's almost like people you know it's almost like urban legend right (laughs) and then all of a sudden this movie comes out and every you know every little thing you heard you know when you 're at sunset or pipe or when you saw a yeah. certain legend it, you're like what is real like
1: it was validated that, yeah. yes
0: that's how I think my generation felt about it. We're like no way that they weren 't just joking
2: like <laughs> God <laughs> <laughs> I mean when I, I mean, think it, i was twenty I was twenty two years old, I had to drive out to Wahiwa and I had to buy a twelve gauge Remington pump action shotgun you know and load it in with uh, with ten shells that the gun the, you know the gun owner had given me, and I, all I had was my international driver's license it cost me two hundred and forty dollars, which was a fortune back then because I'd been punched out and threatened and told, and then people told me I was they were going to kill me, so I was like so so scared um, but that's what we did and and you know we you, we did what we had to do, and none of us left the island, and we all got biffs I mean, I got biffed a few times, rabbit got biffed, you know everyone ended up getting biffed, but that's it's kind of part of growing up to get a good biff, and and just what move does that mean? <laughs> I, uh, what, what does that I mean? biff?
0: It's a beating. A
2: beating. Okay. Like a a biff is like a punch. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. You, you just take it, head, yeah.
0: yeah. You you take it. But yeah, you just <laughs> cop it and, uh, and <laughs> run, yeah.
1: well, I mean, I mean, I, th- I think the territorialism of the North Shore is very well known. I mean, it's 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 uh, there's definitely it hasn't gone away. It's still there. But you, but your your crew, first of all, your crew was such an anomaly. I mean, for for that amount of talent to all kind of congregate together and be surfing together and start this revolution together it's i mean i don't think that could ever be replicated but your timing was interesting because all the previous crew that first started showing up to hawaii from southern california and around the world like i think i think the locals kind of looked at them as with wonder and they weren't sure what to do with them. By the time you got there, they already were done with you guys. They, you know, they were done with more people coming in. <laughs> and so I couldn't understand that ag- the, the aggression coming towards you, know, all the biffs. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and it was crazy interviewing Edward Norton because I was shocked at his um, his knowledge. I mean, I mean, the man is, we mentioned this term, core surfer a moment ago. He is a core surfer. He was telling me a lot of... Yeah very intricate knowledge about surfing telling me specific locations he goes to that I did not think a man like Edward Norton would be aware of. Um, so I thought that was a perfect narrate, narrator for your film. Um, you know, and and talking about corporate interests in surfing, I mean, you've, you've authored two amazing books. Well, I, I don't know if the second one's amazing. I've never read it. I read your first book, Surfer's Code. And you have this amazing list of basically 12 golden rules to live by that results in Harmonic surfing, right? <laughs> um, I, I, this is the best way I could describe it, I guess. I love the book. I carried it when I had my surf shop. We carried copies of it in there. And then, in your, you, but you came out with a sequel, uh, I believe, two years ago, the co- two or three years ago, the Code: The Power of I Will. What's the difference between these yeah. books, and what's the new book about?
2: Yeah. So uh, when I wrote uh, uh surfer's code, I collaborated with this amazing uh, guy who's become a really great friend of mine a guy called Patrick moza I met him when I was doing a talk for Glenn Henning, who started Surfrider Foundation. He created this organization called Groundswell Society, and I spoke about, about a surface code, which was a card that I had produced for these young kids that were coming down to Rincon. Rincon was facing a severe environmental challenge, and Glenn had said to me, oh, Sean, why don't you do something to inspire these kids, give them something, and, and he said, you've got a $100 budget. So I created these little cards and each card was 12 lines, each line beginning with I will, I will always paddle back out. I will take the drop with um, a commitment. I'll never turn my back on the ocean. Just basic principles that surfing had taught me about life, 12 of them. And uh, so I was speaking at this event and a guy came up to me, Patrick Mosey, he said, Sean, I think this would make a cool book. He said, you've got 12 chapters, 12 stories. So over a summer we collaborated and then then Surface Code came out and it it became a, a very popular which was like, so, I'm such a stoker. You know, if you write a book, you think, well, no one's going to read it. And you know, it went through, through a lot of, a lot of printings and, and, and a lot of surfers bought it and a lot of moms and dads bought it and a lot of moms and dads bought it for their kids. And it just sort of became like a part of, of culture. And and I like to think that the, the 12 lines, it's not really um, rules, but it's sort of just like a way to, li- a way to yeah. live. Um, and um, it's like a guide and it's a commitment and it's a promise that every surfer makes themselves. I will, I will ride and not paddle into shore. I don't know how many guys have come up to me and said, "Hey, Sean, you know that has made me so late for so many meetings and be late for my wife. I've been late for my husband. You know, I will ride and not paddle into shore. <laughs> that, that simple concept. So, the book started to to um, to get popular, and I started to talk at schools and and sort of organisations about this concept, like big organisations, huge ones, Google and Cisco, General Motors, like the biggest companies in the world. I just talk about this concept of a code of values. And then people really liked it. And then I was out at Rincon one day and the environmental problem ultimately was solved. And a guy paddled up to me, and said, Sean, I'm a headmaster at a local school. My name's Gordon Sichi. I have a little school, Kappa school. We've only got 80, 80 kids in the school. We'd love you to come and talk about surface code. So I went along to the school, was chatting to the kids about the book. And I said, surface code's my code, I wrote it. 12 lines, every line begins with I will, 105 words. I wrote it in like 20 minutes. I said, what's your code? What about writing your code down and sending it to me? 12 lines, every line begins with I will. So all these 80 kids wrote their 12 lines and they sent it to me. And the very first line I got back was from, from a young girl and it was, I will be myself. And I just thought those words were so incredibly powerful and they were so emotional and they were so Committed to like not being a victim, uh, not being pushed around by peer pressure, not going to be allowed uh, to be bullied. It was just like a, such a potent statement. And then other amazing lines from these uh, these young people: "I'll have faith, I'll pray," or oh, just beautiful lines. I phoned up Patrick immediately I said, "Patrick, we're going to do another book, and um, we're going to do a book for for young people. And the goal of this book is." is to create power to make positive decisions Um, and that's how it started and that's how it ended and became popular as well it um you know a lot of people now use it in 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 like rehab therapy or people Mm. that have psychological issues it's used in a lot of a lot of companies because it's really about um creating a positive path for yourself and engaging with other people and yourself and nature at a, at a sort of a deeply spiritual level. So what, what people do now, which is how my life has sort of evolved is, is when I'll go and talk to a company, I'll speak to them, you know, however big the audience is, a hundred people, 3000 people, and then we'll get people to write their codes. Everyone writes it 20 minutes, 12 lines, every line begins with, five. well, they write their own path forward.
3: Hmm. You know, they
2: visualize their future and they create this, this new path of commitment, spirituality, purpose, uh, and then people stand up and they share it. They read their code. So a person will stand up in front of you know 50 people or 100 people, however many, and they'll read their 12 lines. And it's amazing to see this connectivity with people. I mean, I did it last week and with all these prisoners. It was amazing to see this sort of outpouring of power from people. It's, it's just – it is so – mind-boggling to see this. This very famous university did a study on this process. And they said, Sean, this is one of the most transformational processes that we've ever seen as a way to connect people to each other and also for people to find a new path forward because despair and hopelessness, fundamental social problems in the United States today, a million Americans die every year from, from preventable death. Poor choices related to despair, hopelessness, and I know my little my little tool. It's one of many many interventions, but it's so fun to get people to use it. They have fun with it. They connect with it. Whether then it. ultimately, if they want, they they, they can uh, perhaps change their, their their trajectory.
1: You know your um your ability to motivate and inspire is very impressive. Uh, it's I don't know if you can teach that. It might be more of an instinctive thing. And I'm looking at, uh, I'm on Amazon right now. And the book is called the code, the power of, I will, the rate, I mean, the reviews are incredible. Congratulations. No, Thank nice you. Much. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm reading the, I'm um, the comments and it's just literally echoing what you're talking about in terms of being able to simply focus on what's important. Um, you know, and, and by making these promises to yourself, I think that self inspires and, and provides self-improvement. I'd, I got to read this thing. I mean, I'm intrigued. I want to see it. I'm <laughs> Good job.
0: I, I'm ordering it right now. I don't have it. <laughs> uh, but it's, it. <laughs> so, it's so amazing to, to hear what,
2: what people write. So imagine this. So last week I did a group of uh, inmates at Santa Barbara County Jail. Like I said, these are inmates facing between one year, one year and life imprisonment. What kind of and prisoners was are we talking about? S- is yeah, it state or federal? Santa Barbara, Ca- Santa Barbara County Jail. Okay. There and um, so these are prisoners between one year and life. Okay. And this particular group was, was a group of, of women. Um, they call themselves the West Force sisterhood. And they, you know, I spoke to them and then everyone, they all wrote their codes and they all stood up one at a time and they read their, they read their code to everyone else, and then everyone picks, each person picks their one most resonant line, the line that they really, really love the most out of their 12, and we write it up on a whiteboard. So if there was like 30 women would have 30, 30 lines at the end of the session written up on the whiteboard that in many ways represents the collective purpose and will of the, of the entire group. But the lines themselves are amazing. Like the, the one woman wrote, I will forgive myself. I mean, how about that for like
3: mm.
2: a line that is potent? I will forgive myself. I will not be defined by the darkest moment in my life. Mm. Wow. Um, I will love I will live again. You know these these amazing lines that, that that people write, and and yes, we all have these thoughts, and you know we're going to do this, we're going to do that, but until you make a thought concrete uh, and write it down, the, the mm-hmm. thought never, often it just doesn't actualize. And when you see people actualizing this commitment, it's it's just so amazing. And I just go, man, I got like being a pro surfer, that was one of the best jobs in the world. This new wave I'm writing now. This is one of the best jobs in the world because you see the best of the human spirit. I see the best in people and I see how people want two things. Everyone writes different lines. So I've, I've read hundreds of thousands of lines of code. Everyone writes something different, poetic, passionate, powerful, but everyone only writes two things. This is what they write everyone. And this is, this is the nature of humanity, as I've seen it over the last 10 years that I've been doing this. I will be better, I will make others better. That's, that's the way
3: hmm.
2: that humanity uh, shows itself in the context of these codes. I will be better, I will make others better. Everything relates to those two sort of themes.
3: Which
0: pretty is cool, amazing.
2: that's how that's people cool. are, that's what we want to do. We want to be better and we want to make others better.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's amazing. I mean, uh, everything, I just got chills. I, I have uh, three children and my son is nine and we're constantly talking about codes and, and you know, kind of like that young, but I, I feel that a lot of people don't spend the time to, we, we all have these emotions, but to spend the time and write them down and think about them. And that's something that you're bringing to people all over the world. I think that's ap- absolutely amazing. My, my son and I, I, I was, you know, he talks to me about happiness. And I say, hey, ha- happiness is a choice. You know, it's, it's you know, it's, totally. it's a, it, that's part of one of our codes. And I think that's amazing. I got chills from what you said, and I just ordered your book. So Cyrus, go. Wow.
1: <laughs> Look at you. Uh, you know, uh, Sean, uh, as we're wrapping things up here, um, you're a former world champion surfer. How many world titles do you have?
2: Just one. Anyone anyone just. at once. I mean in nineteen seventy five I was the number uh-huh. one guy. but uh-huh. they only started they only started the rating system in seventy six. I so only it once in seventy seven. A long, long time ago. <laughs> oh that's
1: funny. I I, you won. I, think, <laughs> I think most surfers would do anything possibly, including sacrificing their own life for just one world title. Uh, uh, so but so yes. as a former world champion surfer, as someone who is uh, you're one of the most respected surfers in the world. Um, what is your oh, current you. thoughts? You're very welcome, sir. What are your current thoughts uh, on the WSL? Are you happy with the direction it's going? Are you displeased? I would love to know your opinion on um, the current state of professional surfing.
2: You know, I'm, I'm happy with the
1: way WSL is going.
2: Mm. The WSL is just one part of surfing. You know, you have the whole sort of surfing sphere and one small wedge of it um is the wsl and it's if people get so sort of hit up and they get so sort of uh emotionally invested the wsl there is for one is never for one purpose it's to entertain surfing fans and ultimately create a world champion and i think they're doing it the coverage is amazing the spots are amazing uh we've got 11, 11 great events the athletes are incredible i think the whole wave pool thing while i don't think a wave pool should actually be part of the world uh, tour i still think it's you
1: know, sean are you still there Odog, are you still there yeah oh sean did you we lost you hello your spots that's oh, all it is. is.
2: It's not gonna. It's not gonna create fissures in the soul of surfing. It's not going to detract from my surfing experience when I go down to my little local break and there's three or four of us in the water. The the, the wave pill has no relevance to to that. It's just like a little add on, and I think people have 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 come to see the WSL as this dark star. And it's not it's just one piece of the surfing experience, and to me, I love that piece because I've never ever seen so much money uh, put into into like creating like the best avenue for the best young guys um, in the world. The young guys have got a career path now. Um, yes, yeah, not you know, I don't agree with everything in the. In <laughs> are boring, but I really think that that, that Dirk Ziff, the principal owner, his heart's in the right place. He's a good guy, his wife's a good person, and they just wanna create this, um, this uh, awesome sport, because that's what the WSL represents. WSL represents sport. It doesn't represent surfing, it represents the
1: sport of surfing. Right, and competition. Yeah which yeah, in I'm, many ways is I, the yeah, antithesis. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I, I'm with you. I mean, I I, I worked on, on countless, gosh, so many uh, webcasts myself um, and commentating b- back before the backing of the WSL. And literally, I mean, it, it was kind of fun, but I literally felt at any given moment like something was going to blow up. <laughs> like, you know, it just it always <laughs> felt like, li- like literally like in like, I mean, Fiji, we're like, gosh, the boat the sink. Like I think in Tahiti once the boat like, like hit the reef. I mean, I, I was there for a lot of these and like, when I watch the WSL, I'm like, my gosh, this thing is just an oiled engine. Um, you know, I, I can't thought, believe it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not. an oiled it's
2: engine. That
0: is, it blows
2: my mind. When, I, when I see you- where it came from, we had like little, uh, you know we had little card tables on the beach there with you know little
0: right.
2: sort of vinyl banner <laughs> h- hung up there, and you know you, you, know, you make a right. thousand bucks to win the event i know so like a know sh- is
0: like shorting out running the speakers and <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> oh hook it and- up to his car like stuff like that like that was the old school surf tour, which i do miss a little bit of the rawness Yeah. So, so i get i get it you know i get why core is like you know after wsl like they're fucking too corporate and all that stuff but you know, wh- when it comes down to it, they they um, don't know. It's almost like they're giving the 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 major league baseball aspect of surfing or the NFL aspect of it, uh, the sport.
1: Yeah, sure. I, you know, I feel—I feel, I feel sure. like the, yeah, and I feel like the one thing that the w, WSL needs, and I'm looking at your LinkedIn account, Sean, and anyone can find that online. And and I want to blast, by the way, I want to promote your social media. You can follow Sean Thompson on any of his social media channels by just searching his name, Sean Thompson uh your instagram account especially is is i love it all the photos especially some of the old school ones i just followed you on your instagram and your twitter accounts but i'm looking at your linkedin and i i feel like what the wsl needs is educated surfers right like we just there just are not that many educated surfers and i'm looking at your linkedin and dude, you have a master's degree from northeastern university So, I mean, so, you know, like if that's what I feel like that's the one thing the WSL is missing is pro surfers who once are, you know, whether they want to do it before they compete or after, but go get that degree, learn how to run a business and then with your surfing background, with that education, <laughs> go run that, that surfing tour, you know, that's the, cause right now you have yeah, mostly yep. people who don't surf and that does drive a lot of the consumers, a lot of the fans kind of crazy that you have all these non surfers or like, I think the new guy who's in control of all the digital content is like an SUP guy and doesn't even surf. So I can understand some of the egginess from fans. No,
2: no, no. The, that guy, the guy is actually the new uh, CEO. His name's Eric Logan. I, I've yes. heard a, a couple of times. But the guy, he rides SUP, he surfs as well, but he's a hardcore uh, ocean lover and he rides waves. You know, for me, if a guy's riding SUP, riding a board, okay, okay. certainly I prefer the dude he's riding a board, but still, he's out there uh, you know, writing and not just sort of sitting behind the desk like uh, counting the shekels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the I know. dude, you know, he he he. he uh, you know, he gets involved. But for me, I think yes, education has been really important for my whole life. I mean, I'm I'm still learning today. I was at a lecture, you know, listening to Daniel Kahneman, like the, most probably the leading psychologist, Nobel laureate in the world. I mean, I love. I've always loved to expand my mind. And certainly when I was on the tour, I was. Uh, in the early years, I was also at, at university at the same time. But I, I don't think the, um, I mean, I don't think it's super important that, that, that we have, you know, degreed guys associated with pro because certainly hmm. when guys are on the tour and competing in the most dangerous ways in the world, the best ways in the world, they are certainly having the most unbelievable education about life, whether it's, you know, a Calori and Dina or Gabriel Medina or, you know, Ferreira. these are, these, these are, are athletes that are operating at an extra sensory level. They are operating way outside of the consciousness of 99.99% of people right. on the planet. And I'm, I'm saying that the best surfers are operating on a level that's outside of the consciousness of 99.99% of the best athletes on the planet, because these guys right. yeah. are connected to nature at a very, very unconscious and subconscious level. And also, they're connected to life and death situations. So it's kind of like as much death as there is in NASCAR, but and, and, and as much violence as there is in, in, in professional football, here you have a whole spiritual element as well, and these people can you know, bend time and space to their will. So these surfers... You know, while they might not have a college degree, are very, uh, I think, elevated intellectually, just in another form.
1: Yeah, I agree. That's Omar a great example of that, right? <laughs> you, you're you're <laughs> enlightened, you brother. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, picking on servers with no
0: college degrees, man, what the heck? <laughs> I know. Oh no, no I'm joking. Dude.
1: Like your dad's like a professor. I mean, uh, yeah. Anyway, no. Sean, Shauna, we, we got to wrap things up here. Uh, you know, I could talk. Great, guys. Thanks uh, for thank having you. me i know Thanks, i
0: know hey john thank you so much man uh, that was epic
1: it was and i really was,
2: appreciate the interesting question and it was a fun dialogue, a fun discussion <laughs> and and lots of success guys it was awesome thank you very much oh brother sean it's me.
1: always a, it's always a pleasure man thank you so much for your time the best awesome, that is sean. awesome. cheers cheers man oh love that man Bye.
0: what love a legend, that man right cyrus i yes. love it i love podcasts too man it's yeah. better than radio right it's raw it is oh heck yeah yeah Dude, radio's dead I guess people
1: have been saying that for decades, but I know. Well, I just, I've just never, I've always hated radio. I've hated commercial radio. Like, I don't think you should interrupt quality programming to appease sponsors, you know? I mean. Right. And, you know, if you're going on a good riff, go.
0: Go, swear, let the phone drop out. Just (laughs) keep it real, right? That was insane. What an absolute legend. I mean, we could go on for hours about Sean Thompson, man. I mean, and, and how well spoken and. You know, and he just, he's constantly recreating um, himself and what he does, which I think is so cool. And like you said,
1: what so many people forget to do or don't do, right? All right, brother. Uh, always a pleasure. Uh, you can follow Omar Echeverry on Twitter at Omar Echeverry and follow our show at Dropping In Pod, and follow me on Twitter at Road show And Omar, what's your Instagram handle? That's really where you're a rock star, right? For social uh, media? Yeah,
0: Instagram. I don't even know.
1: <laughs> I think you're Omar, funny, dude. Omar you are <laughs> funny. That's comedy. Are you Omar Etch? Like, what are you on there? You don't even know?
0: Dude, I honestly
1: can't. Hold on. I got to find you. I'll find you. <laughs> oh that's that's utter and pure uh, comedy, though. Uh, there you are. Oh, it's just your name. Just okay, add Omar cool. at Omar Etcheverry. So you're. So follow Omar Etcheverry at his name for all social media, and then um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: right. I'll be the one. I'll be the one crushing it, right? <laughs> Just
1: kidding. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Not knowing my own uh, uh, feed name yet. You. Um, <laughs> all right, brother. Till the next time, we'll talk soon. All right, brother. You. <laughs> <laughs>